0: Welcome to Bible Lab, my friends, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to begin an exploration of the book of Galatians. A couple of matters of business to attend to before we jump in. First, as always, as I'll be doing these episodes, I'll be relying heavily on two great books that I recommend to you guys to pick up. The first is called The Story Retold. And that's the book that I'll be using primarily today. And the second, and this is the one that I typically use more often than the first one, is a book called What the New Testament Authors Really Cared About. So if you'd like to go deeper into any of these themes, into any of these topics, highly recommend that you pick up those books. Second thing I'd like to mention to you guys is we do have an email address, BibleLabPodcast at gmail.com. That's BibleLabPodcast at gmail.com. So Anything that you guys would like me to cover, any questions that you have, feel free to drop us a line there and we will respond as soon as we can. The third thing I'd like to mention is we'd love for you guys to rate us. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is that you're listening, if you have an option to give us a rating, we would love that. Leave us a comment. We would deeply appreciate it. So before we jump into Galatians, as always, we need to orient ourselves to where we are in history. So whenever we begin an exploration of any book of the New Testament, particularly the epistles, we want to start with kind of an anchor point, and that anchor point is always going to be the death and resurrection of Jesus. That occurred in AD 33. Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, was converted a few months, maybe even a few weeks, but not long after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul became a Christian. Now, Paul visits Jerusalem a year or two after this. Now, this is one of those letters where this timeline is actually incredibly important because it's a timeline that Paul makes use of in his letter. So, Paul's converted around AD 33. He doesn't visit Jerusalem until about AD 36. And he makes the point to to say that when he visited Jerusalem for the first time, he only met Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. About a decade goes by, Paul visits Jerusalem yet again. He brings relief for a famine that had been going on in Jerusalem. And then Paul and his partner Barnabas launch out on their first missionary journey. In this missionary journey, they go to Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And one of the places that they visit is Galatia. And there they found the church in Galatia, which is who Paul is going to write this letter to. Now, when Paul gets back from his first missionary journey, there's a group of people that we're going to call the Judaizers, and they are nominally Christian, and but they are telling people that in order to be a full Christian, you have to not only place your faith in Jesus, you have to keep the law of Moses, specifically circumcision, eating kosher food, and honoring the Sabbath. Now this, as we understand it, flies directly into the face of the gospel, and so Paul and Barnabas stand their ground, and so all these different teachers, both the Judaizers and Paul and Barnabas, they gather with the apostles in Jerusalem, and they hold what's called the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council is massively important, even for us today, because it's at the Jerusalem Council that the church searches the Old Testament scriptures, and they receive the word from the Spirit, and they say, The way into the kingdom of God has always been by grace through faith, and it still is that way. So Gentiles do not have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Gentiles enter the kingdom of God the same way Jews do, and that's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, one of the central themes of this letter, as we will see, is this issue of the Judaizers and their false teaching. And nowhere in this letter does Paul mention the Jerusalem Council. Now, if you... We're holding in your hand the official declaration of the Jerusalem Council that Gentiles do not come into the kingdom of God by keeping the law of Moses, but solely through grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And you were sort of in the middle of a dispute about that very topic. I'm certain that you would bring it up. And since Paul never brings up the Jerusalem Council, we can be pretty confident that this letter was written before the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council almost certainly took place around AD 48 or 49. So, this letter is probably written in AD 47 or 48. So, as I've already mentioned several times, Paul wrote this letter and he wrote it to the churches in Galatia, which are churches in Asia Minor that Paul would have founded on his first missionary journey. Paul likely wrote this letter from Antioch. Now, Antioch is one of the two or three biggest cities of the ancient world. It was on the eastern Mediterranean coast, it was north of Jerusalem. And it was Paul's base of operations. Now, why was this letter written? Well, primarily it was written to refute the teaching of the group we call the Judaizers. As Paul would go around the Mediterranean world and he would plant churches, then he would move on. The Judaizers would follow in his wake and they would infiltrate into churches They would claim to be Christians. They would claim to be friends, at least at first, with the Apostle Paul. And they would say something like, oh, wow, you guys know Paul. We know Paul. We're friends. Paul's great. Paul, oh, yeah, he taught you about Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Praise the Lord. You know, Jesus and Paul, they're like the starter kit of Christianity. They're a great way to get started in your relationship with God. But if you want to become a full Christian, well, then you'll need this. And they would hand them, like you can just imagine this stack of books just dropping on the table. They would hand them the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would say, this is the law of Moses. And this is 1500 years older than the gospel. This is how you become a full follower of God. So you'll need to get circumcised. You'll need to stop eating pork. You'll need to stop eating shellfish and you'll need to honor the Sabbath. That's how you become a full Christian. And so Paul is writing this letter to refute the Judaizers. He's writing this letter first to prove the validity of his apostleship. He's saying, friends, if it's a question of listening to me or listening to the Judaizers, let me tell you why you should listen to me. The second thing, once he's established the fact that you should listen to him, the second thing that Paul is doing is he's proving the truthfulness of his message. So Paul is going to show that it's actually the Judaizers who don't understand the Old Testament. If they're teaching that salvation comes by faith plus works, it's they who do not understand the Old Testament. It's Paul and the rest of the Christian church that actually truthfully understands the Old Testament. So Paul is wanting to prove the truthfulness of his message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So once he's proven the validity of his apostleship, here's why you should listen to me. Once he's proven the truthfulness of his message, Here's why you should believe what I say. The third reason for this letter is to rivet, to attach the Galatians' loyalty solely to Christ. So that is the heart behind this letter. Let's look at the first of our themes from Galatians. And the first theme is the end time conversion of the Gentiles. Now, let me just define some terms here for those who may not be familiar. The first would be Gentiles. So to the Jewish mind, there are two types of people. There are Jews... And there are Gentiles. So if you are not ethnically Jewish, as I am not, you are a Gentile. Now, the Jews rightly understood that they, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, were the chosen people of God. So the question began, how do Gentiles, or maybe even do Gentiles, get to come into the kingdom? So that's Gentiles. The second term is conversion. Biblically understood, conversion is when we turn, right? Convert. We turn from our sin and ourself, and we turn to Jesus. We take him as our Savior and as our Lord. This is conversion. So that's Gentiles, that's conversion. What about end time? Now, here in America, where I'm recording this from, just the words end times brings up all sorts of images, sadly, few of them from the Bible, and even fewer of them a proper understanding of what the Bible means by end time. So you'll hear me use two phrases Basically interchangeably, in time and latter days. Now, the Bible most often uses the phrase latter days, and so that's what I'm trying to use primarily myself. But in time and latter days have the same sense of meaning. So what is what are the end times? What are the latter days? Well, right now. Right now is the end time, and right now is the latter days. The latter days, the end times began with the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. From that moment forward, we were living, we are living in the end times, in the latter days, and we will live in the end times in the latter days until the return of Christ. So this is the end time. So the end time conversion of the Gentiles is about how and why and do Gentiles get to enter into the people of God. And this is what the book of Galatians is engaging in, one of the most contentious and one of the most pressing issues of the early church the relationship between Gentile Christians and the law of Moses. Friends, the early church, the first couple thousand believers, the first couple thousand entrants into the kingdom of Christ were all Jews. And so for them, keeping the law of Moses was as natural as breathing. But what about Gentile Christians? Do they have to keep the law of Moses? There's 613 commands in the Old Testament. Do they have to keep all of them? Do they have to keep some of them? Do they have to keep none of them? So according to the Old Testament, and this is one of the things that the Judaizers and the Orthodox Christian Church would have agreed on, the question is not, do Gentiles get to come into the kingdom of God, but how? Because if you take a look back at the Old Testament, there are just countless references to Gentiles entering into the people of God, to God blessing the Assyrians and blessing the Egyptians and blessing the Edomites and blessing even the Philistines. So that was one thing that everyone agreed. But how? That is where the argument began. And so what we want to understand today is how does the Old Testament talk about the process by which Gentiles join Israel in the latter days? And this has a huge impact, friends, not only on how we understand Galatians, but many of Paul's writings. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's also a former Pharisee trained in the law, and how he understands Gentiles and the law and the gospel is massively important for our life today as Christians. So the question before we dive into the text of scripture is, are Gentiles expected to embrace certain aspects of the Israelite faith when they join the people of God in the latter days? And it seems like for the Judaizers, they had boiled it down to three. Gentiles were to be circumcised, Gentiles were to eat kosher food, and Gentiles were to honor the Sabbath. And friends, they weren't just making this up. If you look at certain passages of scripture, they seem to have a pretty good case. For example, I'm going to read a couple of passages from Isaiah 56. The first will be verse six. It says this, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, who are they? Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. So based on that phrase, based on that verse, it seems as if God is requiring any foreigner who wants to enter his people to keep at least one of the laws, and that would be honoring the Sabbath. And in fact, it says it again in Isaiah 56, 4 and 5. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So there's that seemingly requirement again. Eunuchs, Gentiles are to keep the Sabbath. Isaiah 56 verse 7 If you read it, it looks like God expects eunuchs and foreigners to offer sacrifices. It says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So there's Gentiles and eunuchs. They are in the house of God offering up offerings and sacrifices. One more passage just to prove our point, Zechariah. Prophesying several hundred years after Isaiah, after the exile, he says, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. So there are Gentiles keeping the feasts commanded in the Torah. So far, the Judaizers case is looking pretty strong. We seem to have explicit commands and expectations for Gentiles entering into the kingdom of God to keep at least some of the commands of Moses. But we would point the Judaizers to Genesis fifteen six. It says of Abraham that he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it, his belief, it counted it to him as righteousness. And so what Paul says is this, in skipping over to Romans 4, 9 and 10, Paul says, is this blessing, the blessing of God's righteousness, is it only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? So here's the big question. Was Abraham counted as righteous before he was circumcised, and thus it would be by faith alone? Or was it after he was circumcised, thus it would be by faith plus works? And Paul answers the question. It was not after, it was before he was circumcised. So this key event in Abraham's life, and friends, believe me, being declared righteous by God is the key event in everyone's life. It anticipates how God would justify Gentiles in the latter days through faith alone. It anticipates how God would admit Gentiles into the covenant community without obedience to the law of Moses. So why why those passages from Isaiah? Well, let's remember something really important, something very obvious. Isaiah was speaking to people who've been dead for 2,700 years, and they were asking very different questions and facing very different situations than you and I are today. So we cannot go to any passage of scripture and treat it as if it was written only for us to satisfy our questions. What we want to understand is how would the original hearers have heard that passage, do a little thought experiment with me. Imagine that you could travel back in time 300 years and begin speaking to someone about sending texts or talking over Zoom. Would they have any idea what you were talking about? No. What you would have to do if you wanted to speak to them in a way that they could understand about communicating over long distances, you would have to start with something they would understand, like writing a letter. You couldn't talk to them even about making a phone call or even sending a telegram because none of those things existed. So if you want to communicate in a way that your audience can understand, you have to use images that they understand. So for Isaiah, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to people living 700 years before the birth of Christ, people who have been steeped in the law of Moses for 800 years, for whom... Righteousness and law-keeping have been closely correlated for all of their nation's existence. If Isaiah said, in the latter days, you'll be saved by grace alone through faith alone, friends, they would have thrown rocks at him. They wouldn't have understood that at all. And so Isaiah uses the image of law-keeping to show this is what happens when your heart is transformed by God. Now, friends, we're not going to go to all the different passages, but just one to point out to you. In Hosea chapter 6, 6. God points out it's never, ever been about the sacrifices. It's always been about the heart. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. He desires love and not cold ritualism. So it has never been the case that even in the Old Testament days, that you came into the kingdom of God through your own work. It's always been by grace alone, through faith alone. But once you're in the kingdom of God, you begin to live like a kingdom citizen. And for the Old Testament saints to live like a kingdom citizen meant to keep the law of Moses. So when Isaiah looks forward to the latter days about what it will be like, he talks of Gentiles keeping the law of Moses, not to indicate to us how they will get into the kingdom of God, but to indicate what it will look like for Gentiles to be transformed by Yahweh. They will keep the law. The Old Testament expectation is that Gentiles will enter the people of God in the latter days. But we want to see that when we come to Galatians, Gentiles gain entrance into the covenant community by faith in Christ. It was not fully revealed in the Old Testament, that Gentiles would become a part of the true Israel by faith alone, apart from the law of Moses. It was hinted at, but it was not fully revealed until the time of Christ. And that's why Paul says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is aware of the enormity of what he's saying. Paul is aware that it's no small matter to seemingly relegate the law of Moses to a lower status. And so he says, I only say this because this is what Christ has told me to proclaim. Gentiles become a part of the true Israel only by faith in Christ and not by obedience to the law of Moses. Whether that's circumcision, Sabbath laws, or eating kosher food, Gentiles do not identify with Moses to become true Israelites The teaching of scripture is that Gentiles identify with Christ to become true Israelites. Now, once they have identified with Christ, as we will see in a few episodes down the road, they will begin to live a life of obedience and holiness. But the way into the kingdom for a Gentile, for a Jew, for anyone is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And rightly understood, this is what the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament told us. So friends, the next time we come together, we're going to see how Paul proves that he's a legitimate apostle with the right message. But for now, take up and read, my friends. God bless.